I will be speaking here of Tagore's ideas on universalism, cultural distinction and the global. But let me first quickly sketch out its backdrop. Anyone remotely interested in Indian history will know that there was a rich intellectual ferment in the 19th century that coincided with the consolidation of colonial rule. This worked broadly on religious lines, one Hindu, the other Islamic, although by the end of the century there was a growth of secular concerns. I will frame Tagore's thought by the modern Hindu tradition that actually consists of different trajectories of thought. In other words, I see it as a tradition that yields many possibilities. In general, I define Hindu thought by two elements. The first is its search for the distinctiveness of Hinduism as the basis of a philosophical, social and cultural ethos, if not of social identity. This supplies the basis for a Hindu nationalism which Swami Vivekanand, a contemporary of Tagore, theorized in the last years of the 19th century. A second element of Hindu thought is universalist. Many Hindu thinkers try to derive a spiritual universalism from mainly Brahmanical texts. This may be regarded as a move to counter the hegemonic idea of historical progress that both justified colonial domination and shaped the minds of vast sections of the educated among the colonized. With this rough sketch, let me quickly go through some facets of Ramindranath Tagore's life. He lived between the mid-19th to the mid-20th centuries. He was and remains, as you may know, an iconic figure in the Indian subcontinent, especially in its eastern part. Besides being the first Asian to get the Nobel Prize, he was not just a poet, a composer and novelist, but also a playwright, actor, short story writer, artist, peace activist, who also founded a global university. In addition, he was an original thinker. Born a few years after the 1857 rebellion and the establishment of Her Majesty's government, the young Tagore grew up in conditions of Hindu cultural revivalism and contributed to it as well as a young person. This was to culminate in his celebration of Vedic ethical norms and then later in a wholehearted involvement with what is accepted as the first popular movement against colonial authority. I am referring here to the Swadeshi movement 
that took place in the first decade of the 20th century. Side by side, Tagore also inherited a faith in the universalism of Vedantic ideas from his family. This was based on a conviction in the omnipresence of the Brahman, which can be defined as an essential presence that permeates all of creation as well as the Indian individual soul, which is cosmic and acosmic, the origin and end of life. His spiritual universalism possibly made Tagore receptive to the sense of global existence. Born in a wealthy family with immense cultural capital, Tagore also travelled to England as a youth. The journey allowed him to experience the global as a habitation that was based on differences. It also presaged his later years when he travelled across the globe to about 25 countries as a public intellectual, spreading a message of global peace and cultural interconnectedness. Now, Vivekanand, Swami Vivekanand and many others after him found in Hindu nationalism a mark of cultural distinction and pride in a colonized world. Tagore, however, walked a parallel and more problematic path. On the one hand, Tagore emerged as an exceptional public individual and intellectual who felt the effects of British colonialism deeply, not just on his country, but on the world as a whole. He protested against Britain's greed for territory and resources through the wars she waged against the peoples of China and Southern Africa. The wave of patriotism in England that supported the British repression of the Boers was a tipping point for Tagore. It made him uncompromisingly critical of the idea of the nation. In his early discursive writings during the turn of the century, Tagore drew on renown to define the nation, only to dismiss it as a concept word that was foreign to India. The nation for Tagore was the way that the Western world produced a singular and homogeneous unity for itself. In his poetry, he defined the nation through tropes of destruction, fire, and acts of devouring the human. But together with this critique, with this denunciation, Tagore retained a sense of cultural distinction. But in this period, 
this commitment to cultural distinction led him to share much of the discourse of Hindu nationalism. He held society or samaj to be the basis of unity and invoked the myth of a Vedic past based on a respect for poverty, humility and woven together by a sense of kinship. The Vedic was a counterpoint to the materialism and destructiveness of the West. In formulating the problem thus, it may be remarked that the idea of social unity that Tagore developed at this period demanded sacrifice and made it seem analogous to the concept of the nation. Indeed, Tagore had reached an ideological crossroad. He could have easily fallen onto the side of Hindu nationalism, especially at a time when the Swadeshi movement gathered steam and drew the middle and upper classes to itself. But Tagore went the other way. A major factor for this turn was the Hindu-Muslim riots that broke out in the middle of the Swadeshi movement. It demonstrated to Tagore that what he had noted in British colonialism, namely violence against others, was something that was repeating itself in an anti-colonial movement. This led him over the years to conceptualize the nation as a global system that arose in the West but now threatened to hegemonize countries of the East. He elaborated his critique in his nationalism lectures and in Home and the World, his novel about Hindu nationalism. It is not surprising or coincidental that these works were composed in the middle of the First World War, an international conflict that confirmed the worst fears of Tagore. Let me turn here to his critique of nationalism. To Tagore, the modern global condition was one in which cultures and peoples were coming close to each other and this process made the issue of difference an urgent and critical one. Instead of finding ways to live with differences, the nation converted differences into antagonisms by producing both internal and external enemies. At the heart of the nation was an ethical violation of human relationships. The nation organized entire peoples into mechanical organizations of political and economic interests, the purpose of which 
was to accumulate resources and territories. Society itself was converted into a resource. It became an object of control while relationships became instrumental. The foundation of the nation was supplied by the principle of competition. Historically, competition was always present in social organizations, but existed as a subordinate element of certain ethical values. Over time, however, competitive accumulation, that is, the vying with the other to acquire progressively greater resources, became the organizing principle of society. This was a process that demanded more and more efficient levels of organizations of which the most advanced form was the nation. There were two global outcomes. Firstly, the nation became more than just a business organization for it generated a transcendental aura around itself. Secondly, competitive accumulation led nations into war as these nations competed for resources and territories. The nation then becomes a new god, a transcendental entity for which entire peoples are willing to kill and to die. The critique of the nation generated a move to universalist and globally oriented thought. The need for cultural distinction remained important, however, especially because the global itself was posited on differences. Erasure of differences would simply imitate the logic of the nation. What actually happens in the deepening critique of the nation is a remaking of the idea of cultural distinction itself. The nostalgia for the Vedic period fades. It is no longer visible. Further, Tagore's several forays into theological thought that succeeded the disillusionment with the Swadeshi movement are now replaced by an imminent theory of the human. And this is articulated in his long essay of many parts called The Religion of Man. At the same time, conceptualizing the nation as a global system required correspondingly more universal ways of thinking and inventing practices to pose alternatives to it. The need for counter-global strategies was strengthened by an appeal of leading peace activists 
and intellectuals such as Roma Rolla and Bertrand Russell. An appeal made just after the conclusion of the Great War. Tagore was a co-signatory to what was grandly called Declaration of the Independence of the Human Spirit. It is interesting that the despair at the Great War led Roma Rolla to visualize the importance of educating future generations in peace. The enterprise of education was something in which Tagore was already engaged from the beginning of the century. So, instead of visualizing the future, Tagore expanded his existing experimental school into Vishwa Bharati that is popularly described, possibly a little inaccurately, as a world university. I will conclude the story of Tagore's thought by a quick glance at the practices of Vishwabharati. But before that, I will talk at some length on the essay I had referred to, that is, The Religion of Man. Although delivered as a lecture at Oxford in 1930, nine years after the founding of Vishwabharati, this essay contains some of the key philosophical ideas that underpin Vishwabharati. Two concepts in particular demand attention here. The first is the idea of cooperation. Tagore begins by proposing an atomistic idea of creation that says the world begins as atoms that come together and then mutually coordinate to acquire form and life. Cooperation between atoms then supplies the basis of creation and evolves and develops into human life and its human interactions. Together with cooperation is the exceptional status of the human, specifically the capacity to generate surplus. For Tagore, surplus means the capacity to overcome limits and constraints. The human begins by standing on two legs, which indexes man's capacity for transcending limits. In this case, the constraints of its biological nature. By human, Tagore does not mean purely individual capacities, but those of society as a whole. Individuals realize themselves in their relationships with others, and the web of interrelationships defy individual interest. Thus, agriculture is the first activity in which humans come into their own 
for they work together in cooperation. In short, surplus is the capacity of human beings to continuously transcend their limits through, and this is important, cooperation. <coughs> the universalistic orientation of the religion of man provides the grounds, as I have said, for the practices of Vishwabharati. I will briefly re relate two of these. The first is the idea of cooperation as cultural exchange and intermingling. For Tagore, India consists of several traditions of thought which were dominantly religious but also included folk and vernacular traditions. All these needed to be brought together and consolidated. It may be observed that the streams of Indian thought which Tagore identified also included Western traditions. For Tagore, these elements were scattered. They needed to be consolidated through a free exchange of interactions of mutual interactions so that India could then gift the best of her tradition to the West. This was not to be an India that regarded its past as a model. Instead, India would be an entity that evolved through a process of internal exchanges leading to an unknown horizon of the future where yet another round of work could start in interactions with the West. What is significant here is the distinction and the overlap between the East and the West. India is no pure space of thought. It already includes the West that however needs to be reproduced as its past as one of its elements, as one of its parts. On the other hand, the West is seen to have some of its constitutive elements from the East through, for instance, the teachings of Christ. <coughs> I'm sorry. Cultural distinctions are not defined by stable and incommensurable essences. They become a matter of different processes of interaction in time and space. The principle of cooperative surplus works not just at the plane of thought among different cultures of the world, but also in the other space of division, that is, between the city and the village. Cooperation is also embedded in the materiality of work. Vishwabharati was also premised on the assumption that education needed to produce and 
This could be done by remaking village life so that it worked on principles of cooperation. The individuated world of village India for Tagore required the agency of Vishwabharati volunteers whose attempt was to make villagers and villages self-sufficient. The volunteers would act as co-workers who would help remove the villagers from the chain of dependencies whether these were on moneylenders, the vagaries of nature or indeed the middle class activists. And all of this could come together if the villagers learned to cooperate through institutions of cooperation. What we then have in Vishwabharati are multiple levels of cooperation in which there are different modes and aims of cooperation itself. All of these are directed towards producing what may be called that existential surplus that would address the differences and divisions of the world and bring them into conversation and exchange. Including in conclusion, what we may ask is the following. What does Tagore's project tell us about the search for distinction and universalism? It may be remarked that Swami Vivekanand resolved the problematic relationship between cultural distinction and universalism by claiming that the distinction of Hinduism lay in its spiritual universalism as well as in its capacity to absorb other religions into its scheme of life. Tagore's notion of cultural distinction does not tread the path of Hindu supremacism. Instead, it tries a different route. The idea of cooperation was one that Tagore had encountered in the writings of George Russell, an Irish nationalist and member of the Irish Literary Revival. While Russell's book, The National Being, had sought to theorize the global implications of rural cooperatives, Tagore extends it into a philosophical principle that carries resonances of the atomistic philosophical tradition of Vaisethika, one of the schools of Hindu philosophy. Even as he lifts this into his own conception of an infinite human surplus. Further, as I have tried to show, Vishwabharati disaggregates cooperation into a multiplicity of practices that inhabit different kinds of worlds that make up the global. <coughs> Tagore's idea of cultural distinction is not a stable one.
it is open to constant change and re-inflections by different ideas from other cultures. Distinction does not produce a counter-universal principle to the dominant and dominating ideologies of the West, but seeks to universalize itself. I want to leave you with a final point here. This is the idea that instead of searching for a single universal principle that could organize global life, Tagore is committed to universalization as a process. <coughs> the emphasis on an open-ended but globally interrelated multiplicity of processes distinguishes Tagore from the traditions of universalism, whether derived from Vivekananda or from the Enlightenment. It is in a wager on this process that Tagore finds a global belonging, one that did not need to be facelessly cosmopolitan or draw the global into becoming a battlefield of universals. Thank you very much.